Hello, Maverick fans. Welcome to another edition of the Mav Puck Cast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. John, we saw some pretty exciting hockey at Baxter Arena this weekend. It was an exciting, uh, it was an exciting series at Baxter Arena, both on the ice and off the ice, which uh, yeah. we'll be talking about some of those interesting uh, festivities uh, around the series against uh, Colorado College this weekend. But before we dive into the series, uh, we've got to give a shout out to our official merchandise sponsor on the Map Podcast this season, Lawler's Custom Sportswear. You know. We've got one more regular season series at Baxter Arena, and it's the big one. It's uh, it's against North Dakota uh, to cap the regular season. As UNO fans are well aware, uh, a lot of North Dakota fans are going to be traveling down I-29 for that series. You're also going to get a lot of North Dakota hockey fans who live in West Omaha uh, coming, uh, <laughs> coming into Midtown Omaha uh, for the series, Jason. And Look, they're good about representing their team. Uh, you'll see a lot of those uh, green and white jerseys uh, on North Dakota fans. Uh, they're really good about uh, buying the apparel, showing the apparel. And one of the things that you and I talk about all the time is getting more UNO fans to wear Maverick apparel. I would definitely uh, encourage uh, UNO fans uh, if they don't uh don't have anything to wear or they want to get something new to wear to uh head uh, to lawler's custom on 84th street uh, and get some new gear for that uh, north dakota series anything that's not green anything that's not green white and black uh so for more information on lawler's custom uh, be sure to visit lawlerscustom.com colorado college came in ranked 10th in the nation one of the hottest teams in the country uh they came in off of a sweep of north dakota in colorado springs uh they won it was a all... huge surprise like even being at home i mean i don't know anyone who gave them hopes of taking six points out of that weekend i think most of us thought they might be able to eke out you know maybe an overtime win or maybe a win and split the series or something so to see them you know, sweep North Dakota at home. You know, they were riding high coming to Baxter Arena. It was a shocker uh, earlier in the season when uh, Colorado College swept North Dakota in North Dakota. So Colorado College is starting to turn things around. A lot of good, talented young players. That uh, first period uh, on Friday night, uh, a lot of fireworks. Uh, with a little under four minutes left in the first period, Jason, uh, Jack Randall puts UNO up one to nothing, assist to Krenzen. And LeMay, uh, Randall has been a beast uh, during the last month of play. Yeah, he's turned it on. You know, he was, uh, he's probably arguably one of our best players last season. And we had said in the opening previews and stuff that uh, this team was really going to need him to prove that that was not a fluke. Uh, early on in the season, you kind of started wondering, you know, he had some good opportunities, uh, but, you know, just couldn't kind of net those early on. Uh, and it's nice to kind of see him, you know, kind of back to form from last year, um, a big part of this team. Absolutely right. So it was one to nothing UNO after the first period. Neither team scored in the uh, second period, uh, Jason, but uh, both teams had uh, a couple of uh, power play opportunities during the second uh, on Friday night. Omaha continued their, their heavy checking game. I think CC adapted well. Uh, they started moving pucks out of their zone a lot better. Uh, 
I think the big thing was in that second period, Umberco started playing the puck a lot more. Uh, and that's kind of been the thing with Carroll College is teams are afraid to dump the puck in because he is so talented back there at not just preventing the wraparound, you know, and, and getting an offside uh, challenge to that, uh, you know, starting the play and stuff from the off wing that way. Uh, you know, he kind of prevents that, but he'll play it up to their defense and he becomes kind of the first level of that breakout, uh, which, you know, is is kind of tough to defend because you just don't have that extra guy to fill that extra lane that's created by that. Uh, so to see him kind of start, you kind of started wondering with just a one goal lead, like how long before Colorado College kind of uh, gets back in this. But, you know, we escaped the second period uh, still with that one goal lead. And I was feeling pretty good about where we sat there. I don't know what you were thinking kind of heading into that third, but, you know, definitely pins and needles because it's just one goal lead. But I was feeling pretty good about our play on Friday. Yeah, we played really well. A number of fans uh, after the Friday game said that they thought it was uh, UNO's most complete effort uh, of the season. Uh, but uh, 6.05 into the third period, uh, junior forward Ty Mueller puts the Mavs up 2 to nothing. Assist to Tanner Ludke and Jack Randall. This was one that uh, was reviewed for offsides. You and I went back and forth via text. I normally don't text uh, during the game because I'm trying to preserve the battery to record these highlights tanner ludke kind of backed into our offensive zone but as you pointed out he controlled the puck on his stick and this was a rule that for whatever reason after nearly 30 years of following uh college hockey and hockey i just for whatever reason this hadn't come up but he was in the zone first but according to the usa hockey rule book because he controlled the puck he could enter the zone first yeah, it's one that I think casual fans don't really kind of know about when it comes to the the intricacies of offsides and and how all that works because it doesn't it doesn't come up a lot. Um, but it does. Uh, it was one of those things, and it I mean it was changed a long time ago in NHL and AHL and the upper levels. And I would have to go back and see exactly when college hockey followed suit, but they're usually not too far behind. So it's kind of been a rule for a while. It's just one of those things that you don't see and. Uh, and it benefits Omaha this time for sure. Absolutely. And credit Tanner Ludke with his athleticism for maintaining control of the puck uh, because uh, a mere mortal player might not have been able to do that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, with uh, two minutes and change left in the third period, our captain Nolan Sullivan gets an empty net goal for UNO. God, I tell you what, a, a gritty performance uh, during that game by uh, Nolan Sullivan. He's not a statistical giant, but uh, he's been big uh, in recent weeks for UNO. Yeah, and him and and Matt Miller out there on that, you know, what is they pulled the goalie. So essentially, you're dealing with a penalty kill kind of situation. Uh, you know, they they did a good job of of clogging things up. I thought Power College didn't have any you know outstanding opportunities they did have some good scoring opportunities and simon came up big making some saves there at the end and so it's always good to see those kinds of guys that are willing to kind of grind it out uh get rewarded with the score sheet and, um, you know we we've all we've always said how much we like sullivan and, and his play and it just it fits the way that omaha's kind of um, created their identity of just being a hard team to play against that are willing to do the little things and uh, they'll play a physical game when needed. Absolutely right. So big win, big three to nothing win. As you mentioned, uh, Simon gets the shutout. Great for him. And uh, as I mentioned, 
A number of UNO fans said that they thought that that was UNO's most complete performance on both sides of the ice this season. So I got to tell you, going into Saturday night's game, I felt great because uh, because a split uh, against Colorado College uh, going into the series sounded like a, a pretty good outcome. But uh, we were hoping for more, Jason. We were uh, we were hoping uh, UNO could uh, find a way to get the. Uh, Get the sweep 325 into the first period. Uh, Colorado College's Brett Link puts the Tigers up one to nothing. It's one to nothing. Colorado College after one. Uh, and it was one to nothing uh, through two periods, Jason. Yeah, CC played, especially I think more that first period than anything else. They they played way, way better than they did Friday night. I think that Friday night probably shocked him a little bit. I'm guessing their coach probably had some things to say. Uh, about their performance on Friday and uh, they came out and they were the better team in the first period and uh, there were a few times I was like I, I had said at the intermission like we were lucky after that first period just to be down by one and the refs were starting to make some of those weird uh, you know, like how do you make that call the the goaltender interference call on Tanner was like I don't know I don't know how you look at that and say that that was his, like, his interfering with the goaltender Still blows my mind on that one um so so yeah you know that's the, you're kind of concerned at that point in time because you're kind of feeling after that first period like cc's found their game what can we do you know I, I didn't we started getting some momentum towards the end but you know we just really didn't look like we had anything uh but that second period was it like we were back to playing like friday we were high on the puck uh a lot of pressure on the four check uh and that really frustrated and and kind of bogged down Cairo College's ability to to get their game started and then it's like then you're still down by one and you're thinking man you know all that effort in the second period is it just too little too late is it just you know not our night you know we had some opportunities that went off posts we had breakaways that just we lost the puck or you know it was two on O, and like the shot was kind of a mediocre decision at best and where we try to get the pass across and it's behind a player and there, there was a lot of that through two periods and i was just kind of thinking like you know maybe uh maybe we used up all of our hockey luck on friday like you mentioned a number of great opportunities for uno and one of the things we've been beating this drum all season long is for uno to find a way to get sustained pressure in their offensive zone and on saturday night during that second period and third period we saw UNO do that. You know, we ended up putting uh, 42 shots uh, up on uh, Colorado College uh, during the game. Uh, it was scoreless throughout most of the third period. Again, as you mentioned, UNO had uh, a number of good opportunities, 19 total shots during the period. Uh, four by Ty Mueller alone. I thought he was going to get a goal, uh, but with a little under three minutes remaining in the uh, third period, Nolan Sullivan ties it up for UNO, assists to Erdahl. And Griffin Ludke, uh, we were just talking about uh, Nolan a uh, few moments ago. A uh, gritty performance by him this weekend, Jason, uh, and, a, and a great time to get the uh, game-tying goal. Yeah, you know, we, we struggled a little bit in the, I think, especially the first period of Saturday with getting pucks to the net and then and getting bodies to the net. Like, we'd, we'd get shots through, but there was no one there for rebounds or, you know, everything was low. We were kind of jamming a little bit too too low in the zone. Uh, in, in that house area and, and that I think you know Umberico's a good goaltender he knows that that we're the type of team that's going to be looking for that stuff that's 
you know, one foot, two foot away from him. So he started kicking rebounds out higher and that gave his uh, defenseman and his forwards time to break out. And so that we struggled with a little bit. I think that third period is when we really started to find that like middle ground uh, and, and kind of fill that in. And that's what really gave us the, you know, the 20 some shots or something that we got in the third period uh, was just filling in those lanes where Umberka was starting to kind of kick the puck to uh, Nolan Sullivan, like his, his goal comes off of that. Um, it's that middle area that Umberko kicked the puck out to, you know, you get that second chance opportunity and then Sullivan's there on the doorstep with a, you know, just a wide open tuck it in the net kind of thing. And, you know, I credit him. It's it's not an easy place to go. And I, I think a lot of fans will look at that going like that was an easy goal. It's like, well, yeah, no one's on him and he kind of slips it in. But my gosh, what the, the slodge that he has to go through to be in that position, you don't understand how hard that is. Absolutely right. Uh, so great goal. And the game goes to the five minute three on three overtime. Uh, a place that uh, we've become very familiar with this season, uh, Jason. Uh, I was hopeful that uh, UNO would get it done because UNO has had a lot of success in the three-on-three overtime period. Uh, Colorado College had a power play opportunity when uh, Tanner Ludke was called for goaltender interference. He went uh, barreling in the net trying uh, to get something done. Yeah, he had the puck. He wanted to make a power move to the... To the middle, which, you know, is definitely not something that I typically would expect from Lunky. Usually I, I see him as more of the, you know, try to maybe pick a drawback move or, uh, you know, a toe drag or something around a defender and, and take those kinds of shots. Uh, Mueller's kind of the same way. Like I expect those types of plays out of those two guys. Uh, but he just lowers his shoulder and kind of takes the like, I'm just going to drive this puck in and Barico makes the save. And, you know, um, I know Omaha fans kind of wanted to say like, you know, CC pushed him in kind of thing, but he really had a pretty clean lane and he doesn't really make a whole lot of effort to stop. And so that one, I think he deserved way more than he deserved the one in the uh, first period. The first period one was stupid. So I guess uh, it balances out eventually. The game officially ends as a tie. Both teams get one point uh, in conference play. So the game goes to a shootout for that extra conference point. The shootout doesn't mean anything in the NCAA record books, uh, but for the conference race, it's very, very important to try to get that second conference points. Colorado College didn't get anything past uh, Simon Lacozzi during the shootout. Uh, UNO's Tanner Ludke puts uh, the shootout winner in against Caden Imberico. Uh, the fans certainly rejoiced. Uh, like I mentioned, Omaha outshot CC 42-19 to during the game. What do you think about uh, UNO's performance uh, overall uh, in the Saturday night game uh, and uh, this weekend uh, against uh, CC, Jason? It's a good series. I think a lot of people had you as an underdog, so accepting that role and and getting some results out of it, I think, is a, a good a good thing. I like that they stuck with it and they kind of battled back in the Saturday game. Um, it certainly wasn't an easy series by any stretch, but you know, see them kind of put up those numbers and, and and stick with the system and not kind of abandon things and try to do too much. We've seen that from this team. Uh, this season is, is they get down in a game or something and they start uh, feeling like, you know, they need to thread needle passes and open things up and kind of try to do things that they're just not uh, used to. I think this was one of the weekends where we really saw them play what we could start to say is their game and, and kind of an identity to a team that we haven't really seen consistent you know, all year. And I think that bodes well going into, 
you know, the end of the season. We've got four games left in the regular season for the NCHC. I know we'll talk later about like standings and things like that, but we're in it. Like we, you, you have a chance. You're not out of it. And so this is the kind of play that you need. I think the big question for me now is Miami's next. Miami's not Cairo College. Can we go out there and say, like, let's put in this kind of effort against someone who's not Cairo College, not North Dakota, not Denver, not these perennial teams that you know, you know, are going to be good or the CC team that's just hot all of a sudden kind of thing. Like, you need to go and dominate Miami and say, like, hey, we're a we're a threat here. Um because we need the points, that's for sure. Absolutely. So five big conference points uh, out of a possible six uh, against Colorado College. Big weekend for UNO. Great series. A uh, lot of fun to be a Maverick fan at Baxter Arena this weekend, uh, for sure. So, and, John, my, uh, my phone has been blowing up from people about this. And so before we move okay. on to, I know players of the games come in here, but um, the last shootout uh, attempt by Cairo College I think we need to discuss uh, your thoughts on should it have been blown dead, like basically right when he crossed the blue line um, or not? Because I know I know what I know, like I know what I know, um, but I'm really curious what you think on that. Boy, I'll tell you what, fans were chirping in Baxter Arena. I did not get a clear view. Obviously, I'm trying to film this stuff. So I'm sitting there looking at my, what, four and a half inch screen. And so I'm like, wow, what did he do when he uh, came across the line? So Jason, break it down for us. I did not go back and look at that this morning. Break it down. What exactly happened uh, when he skated uh, the puck into the zone uh, during the shootout? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Wisdom comes across the blue line. And when he cuts into the cut through the blue line, he tries to make kind of a... Uh like a, an intermediary move to the middle. Uh, it's kind of a, a quick move to change the angle to get the goaltender to start backing up. In the process of doing that, he loses the puck. He loses control of the puck, which, you know, isn't a problem. I think a lot of people think like, oh, the minute you lose control of the puck, you're, you know, it's dead. It's That's not the case. Um, you know, so he loses control. But the problem is, is that like the puck wasn't moving very fast. And so I think from a fan's perspective, you look at it and you kind of say like, he stopped moving towards the goaltender. He stopped, you know, essentially the opportunity because you can't go backwards on those. Um, reaches back, gains the puck, continues in, shoots and saves. And I think a lot of people were thinking that, like, the minute that he lost that puck, that the the referee should have blown it dead. I had texted one of my friends who's a, a referee and said, like, I think I know the answer to this, but before I go on a podcast and say, like, I know the answer to this, I really want to make sure that I'm, like, confident in my ability. Um, and this kind of goes with a lot of, like, what we see with offsides and stuff, too, is that if they're not, if the the linesman or the referee in any given situation is not 100% sure that it's offsides, or in this case, not 100% sure that he went backwards to get the puck then they should let the play continue and then go back and and remedy their error in in review because they'll have a better idea of what exactly happens with the multiple camera angles in the video and so that's the situation that we're in i think as a fan like you now get to have the fun of like if they did go into the review box you know if he shoots and scores and they go into the review and do they agree with us and say he went backwards do they disagree and say that it was still a valid attempt or what but um, ultimately what it comes down to is they let it continue and Simon makes the save and it's irrelevant but 
it's fun, I think, as fans to look at that and say, like, do you really feel like he went backwards to get the puck or did he just reach back and pick up the puck? And if you're watching this on YouTube right now, I am playing this over and over again in <laughs> slow motion, zoomed in. So uh, so you frame can, by uh, frame, <laughs> frame by frame. So you can uh, take a look for yourself. Uh, very interesting. I'm glad he didn't get the goal so that we didn't have to deal with uh, that uh, controversy. John draws a line for us on the video so that it's like the you know the the line of scrimmage on the the NFL plays, and we can tell like did he really make the pass over the line? You know that that does sound like something uh, I something I will do. There've been a number of things like I've wanted to have little like player names with arrows like following the players around in some of our highlight clips, like you see, like on NHL games, I've been learning the software as the season's gone. So hopefully this summer I can get some of those cool graphics. Thanks for the insight on that, Jason. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, interesting moments in this week's series. So as usual, we've got to talk about our players of the week. As always, I have no idea who Jason is uh, picking up for this weekend uh, in a really good series against Colorado College. Jason, who did you like for UNO uh, during this key conference uh, matchup? I liked quite a few players, actually. You know, I think this is one of those situations where there's a lot of guys who deserve to be mentioned in the podcast. You know, Ty Mueller had a really good weekend. His face-offs, I think, were dramatically improved. Not just winning and losing, but his movement off of it. You know, once he, you know, if he wins it, where does he go? If he loses it, where does he go? Um, it just seems like he was way more committed to what they were doing this weekend than I've seen him be, uh, you know, this season. And and so I think he deserves credit for, for that. Not to mention, you know, when it comes to even strength play, he both nights, he was one of our our best players, if not the best player for, for both weekends. So, you know, really, really good there. Um, you know, Mancini was probably our best defense, like statistically our best defenseman all weekend really pushed the play a lot in that third period of the Saturday's game. So, you know, we've talked about him on the podcast before, but I think that, you know, give him like, right. We already talked, you already talked about Randall. So I think he deserves some credit. Like I just go down this whole list, but at the end of the day, like there's just two guys that I was like, these guys just, deserve more i think one of them is fairly obvious so i'm just gonna like leave it there for you and see if you take the bait and i'm gonna take nolan sullivan as my player of the weekend uh you know he gets the empty net goal and his face-offs like he was i think he was 62 when i looked like it was like 60 some percent for the weekend um through both games uh you know he was really really dominant for us in there um, you know, and and gave us a lot of 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 that even strength, the the gritty kinds of plays that kind of wears down a team uh, like Cairo College. Um, I actually thought his Friday game was probably better than his Saturday game, but he really turned it on. Like third period is just both nights. Like third period, I was like, you notice Sullivan out there. Uh, third period, and and I love players like that. Like guys that you know when the game's tight and it's close and things like that. Like. The guys that can still perform well, um, I like that. So no, Sullivan's my guy this weekend. So, John, pick the obvious one. You know, this is the second weekend in a row that you picked Nolan Sullivan. And I just got to say about Nolan, I did take some notes on him because obviously uh, our fifth-year captain uh, 
captain had a really good weekend. He had that empty net goal uh, on Friday night, and he had the game-tying goal on Saturday. He won 21 of 33 face-offs this weekend, uh, six goals and five assists on the season. A great pick. I mean, I don't know who your obvious pick is here. I mean, you made the you made the sales pitch for Ty Mueller, and you know how much I love Ty. Like, every game when he does something good, Bridget's sitting there and like, oh, he's going to leave and he's going to go play minor league hockey and we're never going to see him again. He had a goal on Friday. He had 10 shots on goal for the weekend, nine goals and 15 assists uh, for Ty Mueller. You know who I've got to go with? And I don't know if this is your obvious pick or not Jason Mueller might have been your obvious pick but I think I got to go with a uh, sophomore goaltender Simon Lacozzi the cat as they like to call him uh 24 saves uh in that shutout on Friday 18 saves in the tie on Saturday he stopped all the shots in the shootout for that uh, critical extra conference point uh, he has a 2.80 goals against average this season and a 0.905 save percentage Jason, was Simon the player you were thinking of? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, between the shutout and then really just, like, you can't fault him too much on that that first goal on Saturday, and then after that, he just closed the door, and he made some some really big saves. This easily could have been blowout on Saturday with the way that we played in the first period, and, and it wasn't because of him. So I'm glad you uh, caught on to that little uh, airdrop there for you. Yeah, thanks for the assist on that. And what's what's amazing about him, you know, Bridget this season uh, has gotten to attend uh, the weekly uh, press conferences on behalf of MapPuck.com. And Simon has been the player uh, a couple of times this season, and she asked him how he prepares for games. Uh, and he made the comment that he visualizes the game uh, at least three times in his mind before the games are actually played. So uh, he was phenomenal in the second half last season. And, you know, as you get down to crunch time and postseason playoff time, uh, goaltending and defense uh, and good, good gritty play is going to be what gets it done. So yeah, great weekend for Simon Lacozzi. But like you said, a number of great performances this weekend. <laughs> But we've got to turn to our things you missed at Baxter Arena. And Jason, I'll tell you what, there were a number of interesting things going on this weekend uh, at Baxter Arena. Good to be back uh, in the uh, friendly confines of Baxter Arena. On Friday night, there was a bobblehead giveaway. The first 1,500 fans got bobbleheads. I know you guys were there early. You know, last year's bobblehead was this uh this durango with the hockey stick which sits on my desk i also had an animation for him last season and he would just appear randomly with his head shaking around but this year they went with one of the people behind the uno hockey program we've got coach gabinette and as i was taking notes this morning this was sitting on my desk and he was just like staring at me with his arms folded and i looked at him and i'm thinking oh i don't want to take notes today but i'm thinking gabinette's just uh he's standing there you know thinking to himself you just got to trust the process john so what did you think of this year's bobblehead giveaway from vance thompson vision it it was nice i like that i actually like that they did uh quote unquote a member of the team kind of thing and so i guess now i wonder like is this a tradition are we going to get a bobblehead every year and i have to keep a collection or not and if so who do we get next year and 
That's a really, that's a really good question. Who would they pick? I don't know when they have to order these things. I'm sure there's quite a bit of lead time uh, to get these things done. So it's got to be somebody, you know, is coming back. So maybe they'll roll down, um, roll down our list of assistants or who knows what they'll, maybe they'll come in with a, an, an alternate look for Durango next year. I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, no, I thought they uh, could just do a generic hockey player and not have it be anyone specific. I've also seen teams do. There was a ECHL team that did a bobblehead night, um, but they were the boxes were all nondescript, and so when you got it, you got a numbered player, and you just didn't know who you were going to get. So it was a, a gamble kind of thing, and so which I thought was kind of cool because then I saw a bunch of people in a Discord group. Like, I'll trade you number twelve for number fourteen. Maybe Mike Kemp is a a good next bobblehead, and there's a reason for that, isn't there, John? Absolutely. Mike Kemp uh, announced his retirement, which we will be talking about uh, here in a moment. Uh, I also want to mention on Saturday night, it was country night, I guess country western night uh, at oh, UNO yeah. Hockey. We had... And cowbells. The, country and yeah, cowbells, yeah. right? Yeah, Pepsi, who is the... Uh, who is the soft drink vendor at Baxter arena sponsored these. There were a thousand cowbells. We heard a lot of great cowbells. Uh, in addition, the students uh, had 600 cowbells distributed to them along with 300 horns. And I don't know if you heard that horn noise during the game on Saturday night, but uh, having run a fan site where we sold uh, plastic horns, just like that uh, to fans back in the early two thousands, and we did get in trouble. We got a letter saying they were noise irritants, not noisemakers. But I love the sound of horns at games, and I love the sound of horns in the student section. What did you think of the horns, Jason? <laughs> All I could think of was when we went up to Augustana and they went let us bring cowbells to the game, and I'm thinking, <laughs> is this? we need to do this promotion against Augustana some year <laughs> just to like – rub that that's, one in that's right man we do not subscribe to augustana's uh uh no, no. artificial noise no we want to have fun at games and artificial noisemakers like cowbells and horns are part of the experience yeah we know how to do it right at baxter arena um one of the things that was really cute that they showed uh, on the jumbotron during the game was uh Nolan Sullivan and Tanner Ludke uh, did a video. They would tell these kind of jokes, which were kind of like dad jokes, where the other guy would take a swig of water from their water bottle. See so, you how know, I can demonstrate here with my water bottle. So they take a swig with the water bottle. They would hold the water in their mouth. The other player would try to tell a joke and they would try not to laugh. And um, it was pretty funny uh, to watch both uh, Tanner and Nolan. Uh, burst out laughing water spraying everywhere at those jokes what did you think of that little uh what'd you think of that little recorded segment jason oh i loved it it was it was good it's always fun and i've seen a lot of other teams do that so i love that they're kind of jumping on some of these trends and and getting involved in them because it's just it's fun to see the guys and you know in, in those kind of like not serious moments and it definitely looks like they're having fun with it which i think is the the best part of it is to see the guys enjoying their time here since we enjoy watching them. Uh, speaking of Tanner Ludke, we got to sit with Tanner 
Tyler Roll Wagon and Jacob Slipic at the dinner with the Mavs on February 15th. Uh, it's been a couple weeks uh, since we've done an episode, so we haven't gotten to talk about the dinner with the Mavs yet. It's uh, an annual event uh, that we always enjoy. Normally they do it once during the first half of the season and once during the second half, but uh, the Blue Line Club only did the second half of the season. Part of that, uh, I believe, is because uh, the bye week in the first half was very, very early. So, uh, Jason, we sat with you, Jolene, and your father-in-law at the dinner with the Mavs. We had a great time uh, chatting with those guys. Uh, what did you think of Dinner with the Mavs? One of the nicest uh, events uh, that the Blue Line Club does. There's a buffet dinner, $30 per person. You can't beat that. Uh, but what did you think about uh, the Dinner with the Mavs this year uh, at the uh, Marriott in Regency? It was nice. I, we always like those events, and it's good to get to talk to the players and you know, ask about things that are not hockey related and things that are hockey related and, you know, just kind of enjoy some time and in, in, in a meal and then you get to hear from coach. And so I always love the the questions from the audience there and, and to hear what, what people ask of, of coach. And there were some good questions, I think, thrown out. Uh, you had a good one and, um, you know, talking about his, uh, his time as a player to his time as a coach. And so, uh, I don't know if you plan on showing some video of that, but that was a, that was a good question, and it's a it's all around just a good event. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he had a really interesting answer uh, to that question. Uh, so, uh, so uh, yeah, if you're watching this, we're going to show you a, a clip of uh, what Coach Gabinet had to say to the audience. Okay. Yeah, obviously, you were a player about 20 years ago for UNL. What's the biggest difference between when you were playing at UNO and now the player experience? What's different between then and now from the time you were a player to being a coach? Oh, good question. Yeah, you know what? I think, uh, yeah, they had a lot better than we have. Right? Yeah. You know, but just, I think, just, I think the level of plays is, uh, has increased. I think the level of play has increased. I think just the demand on these guys week in, week out, especially in our conference, on our conference has increased. I think, uh, you know, it's a high-level hockey. It's a high-level hockey. These guys got to play every single weekend. And uh, I don't remember being that intense as a player week in to week out that just what these guys have to go through mentally and physically. So I think uh, I think that's definitely one thing. I think secondly, I think, the support that uh, the athletes have now, just from the food to the nutrition to the, I think that's one thing our, our department's done an unbelievable job at from whether it's a sports psychologist to trainers to nutrition to uh, strength coach, all those good things. I think there's some really good pieces in place here. And, and I think Baxter Arena is a game changer too. That, you know, I, I think I, you know, week moments I'll remind the guys that we used to drive and work out at 6 a.m every Monday, 6 a.m. workouts and do all those things. And I think now just being streamlined and faster has been an awesome, awesome addition to have that kind of one-stop shop now for you guys. Well, good stuff, guys. Again, just really from the bottom of my heart and from our team, just really want to thank you guys for the support. There's a ton of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And, and back to the original question uh, from John, I think about what one of the things that I did different, well, one of the things is what I know now being a coach, not a player, just all the behind the scene works when, you know, players get to roll in and roll out and, you know, get fed and all that stuff. But what actually goes into making that possible is a lot of work. 
and a lot of people in this room are really, really big contributors to that. So again, really want to thank everybody for coming. Looking forward to uh, the CC weekend coming up here. Thank you. But Jason, you had a great question uh, as well about teams getting added to the NCHC in the future, potential conference realignment. It's a topic that we're going to have to talk about some of our our wild ideas and theories about conference realignment because as fans, uh, where it seems like conferences are changing uh, in collegiate athletics on an annual basis, uh, that would be kind of fun. So, uh, so Coach Gabinet had an interesting answer on that. There's a lot of talk about conference realignment and you've got teams that are just coming in with like Augustana and that. If you could pick one team that's not in the NCHC that you could bring in, who would you pick? Yeah, to be honest, I haven't thought about it. I um, just kind of look at the schedule in front of us and focus on those guys. But I think, you know, I think Augustana is a great addition to college hockey, especially for us to, with the location to, to, play, uh, to play. I think it's going to be a nice little hopefully a little bit of a home and home situation there with it being so close for us. It's a lot easier for us geographically, usually for non-conference, if we're going to a late state, that's a tough travel for us. So I think it's going to be nice to have some of those teams geographically. So maybe a team closer by would be great to, to get in the conference there, just for our, our travel partners always been North Dakota, and that's, a, that's not an easy bus trip to North Dakota. So so I think maybe bringing somebody in that's uh, close by could be nice. But overall, Jason, I think you and I would encourage fans to come out to events like this. You know, earlier in the season, uh, you and I met uh, one of the folks who uh, loyally uh, watches and listens to the Mad Puckcast, Dan Blecker. We met him in the lobby early this season after a game, and he actually came up to me after the Saturday night game and was asking about membership in the blue line club. He wondered, wanted to know if anyone could join the blue line club, how much it costs. So this season, blue line club membership started July 1st of 2023. So for next season, they'll start uh, July 1st of 2024, $50 donation minimum to join. That's $50 per individual, $50 per couple, $50 per family. Or if you want to donate more, uh, I know that uh, UNO and the folks who run the one fund would love that. Uh, They have two member appreciation events uh, in the Blue Line uh, Club area behind the student section each season. Uh, That's the Blue Line Club member area for each game. So normally during games, they'll have uh, popcorn uh, and other snacks uh, that you can pick up there. Their big signature event every summer uh, is the uh, golf outing. We just got uh, a postcard for the golf outing. What are your thoughts? Like a lot of people don't know about the Blue Line Club in the late 90s. Early 2000s, I was a board member. Uh, At that point, they had near 1,000 members. Uh, There were Blue Line Club luncheons every Friday uh, before each home series during the season. There were lots of events. Obviously, they don't do as many events, uh, and it's kind of a lower-profile organization. But uh, what are your thoughts about uh, Blue Line Club membership? I like it. Like It gets us into the games a little early, and there's, you know, obviously, like you've talked about the events and stuff that – that they do, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun thing for us. And obviously, you know, as, as content creators in the podcast and stuff, it's a, a unique opportunity for us to, to get some content from the guys and, and talk to them. So that's always good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think most, most schools have some kind of booster club kind of thing like this. Uh, you know, it's just a question of, you know, is it worth it for, for each family and you got to decide, you know, for you, if, if it's, if it's worth it for you, but I certainly 
uh, have enjoyed being a member of the Blue Line Club and have no plans to stop being a member. Absolutely right. So uh, as always, uh, for those of you who follow us on social media, if you have any questions about the Blue Line Club, uh, be sure to post, be sure to DM us. We're always uh, happy to happy to answer those questions. Like Jason mentioned, if you have a Blue Line Club card, you can get in uh, 30 minutes early before the game, which uh, is kind of nice to do on giveaway nights like they had this weekend at Baxter Arena, but uh, a number of great events like the Dinner with the Mavs each season. So uh, we would encourage you to join. Uh, I know that uh, the UNO Athletic Department would uh, appreciate your donation. But you mentioned him earlier uh, in regards to uh, bobbleheads. Coach Kemp, uh, currently our Executive Associate Athletic Director, uh, he announced that he was going to retire. Uh, Bridget and I got uh, a notice on Tuesday night uh, that he was going to make the announcement that he was retiring uh, on Wednesday afternoon last week. Uh, there was an embargo, so we had to keep quiet, which uh, we did a very good job of doing. We did not tell anybody, including you, Jason and Jolene. We we uh, we're trying to be uh, we're trying to be good citizens in the world of UNO hockey. Uh, Coach Kemp. Uh, was the architect of the UNO hockey program. Uh, when the program was announced shortly after Bridget and I graduated uh, in the spring of 1996, uh, Mike Kemp uh, was hired to be the head coach. Uh, and over the course of the next, uh, gosh, probably almost 18 months or so between the time he was hired and uh, the time the program started playing, put together a program, hired two talented assistants, David Quinn, who I know you're very familiar with, Jason, and uh, has uh, had success at a lot of levels of hockey. Uh, Steve Rollick, who's currently the uh, head coach of uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, they were his assistants. They recruited some great teams in those early years. Uh, coach Kemp retired with a record of 194, 223, and 57 in 12 seasons at UNO. Uh, did a lot of great things uh, for UNO, including uh, getting the team to their uh, first NCAA tournament in 2006 out in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, he also coached the club team uh, in the 1975-76 uh, season with the intention of starting varsity hockey, uh, but budgetary constraints due to uh, Title IX uh, put that plan on the back burner. So Coach Kemp has said a number of times over the years, he never thought we'd actually end up starting uh, hockey here in Omaha. He was a longtime assistant uh, at Wisconsin. He worked for both Badger Bob Johnson and Jeff Sauer while he was there. Uh, he recruited players like Mike Richter and Curtis Joseph. And if I recall correctly, when I was on the Blue Line Club Board of Directors in the early 2000s, he had talked about trying to get Curtis Joseph here for some fundraising event for the uh, Blue Line Club. And uh, Joseph was the netminder for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs at that time. So, uh, yeah, very emotional uh, press conference. Uh, Bridget got to ask uh, Coach Kemp some questions, uh, and we're going to go to some highlight clips of that now. And Jason and I'll join you again on the other side. For me, this is... Uh... A uh, very bittersweet moment, obviously. Uh, I've uh, had quite a career, and I appreciate uh, everything that anybody has ever done for me during that career. It's been 48 years in college athletics, and um, I certainly don't believe that even though I'm walking out into retirement uh, in May, 
Uh, I don't really think that uh, I will be a stranger to any kind of uh, Maverick athletic event. You know, I, I entered coaching not uh, uh, with any grand ideas of uh, what would happen to me throughout my career or any great success. It was really all about the opportunity to work with young people. I also uh, am really uh, grateful for the uh, opportunity I had here at UNO. Uh, to come in in uh, 1996 uh, and to start a program from scratch. You know, you look at very few people ever have the opportunity to start something that never existed, to be able to see through uh, for the first uh, 12, 13 years, we used to count that year we recruited a team, 13 years of existence and then be there 28 years later still helping to make decisions to guide that program but so I've really been blessed you know the thing I'm most proud of with this program here is when I look out like last night I was uh, at my grandson's hockey game his might game and I look out on the ice and I see five six of our former players that played for me out there giving back to the community. And what I'm most proud of is the number of players that we had going back to 1996 who came to this community, because they all came from someplace else. They all came here, put down roots, graduated from UNO, got degrees, got jobs in the community, and then stayed here and given back to the community. To me, that's the thing I'm most proud of. You know, there's been so many things that have gone down the pike here over the years, and uh, I just know that, you know, I have been so blessed to be around, surrounded by so many good people. You know, and it, 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 it's like I said, it started back with Del Weber, Don Lee, Connie Clausen. You know, to be able to be involved with those people, to have those people influence your life, yeah, I mean, it's impactful. And um, I've had so many people before I got here that really had those kind of impacts on me as well. You know, Bob Johnson, Jeff Sauer, uh, Don Roberts, you know, um, I'm just a guy who got lucky. So, Jason, what did you think of the announcement uh, that Coach Kemp was retiring? Uh, he's been such a fixture around UNO hockey. It's nice to have that institutional memory from the very beginning of the program to now, and he won't be with the athletic department. So I guess it falls on certain fans and Terry Leahy, who's been around uh, since the beginning. But what did you think of uh, the announcement that uh, Coach Kemp was uh, hanging it up? Uh, 71 years old, hanging it up. Yeah, I think it it was a bit of a surprise, but kind of like not completely a surprise. You know, you mentioned his age and like he's been with the program and he's moved from you know, being behind the bench to to more of an admin role. And, you know, so those are kind of all the like writings on the wall that it's it's coming, but you kind of just never think that today's the day. Uh, but it, it's a changing of the guard, right? You know, when they brought in Dean Blaise and, and then, you know, when Dean Blaise left and, and Gabinet took over, you know, that was kind of starting to look at like, this is a new program. This is a new team. It's not, you know, what it was when it started. Um, you know, the move to the NCHC, I think, was a, a, a big precursor to, you know, the new Omaha versus the old Omaha kind of thing. Um, and so it's, you know, it's sad to see him go. Like you said, it's, it's sad to lose that history that, you know, that every day he's there saying, like, this is where we've come from um, and kind of always 
keep that in mind. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here, you know, as a fan and stuff, the question for me becomes, you know, what comes next and, and who fills that void? You know, in hockey, we talk a lot about the next man up and, you know, a player goes down with an injury and you're like, all right, something, someone has to step up and perform. Right. And so I'm curious who's going to like, who's going to step up, who are they going to go out and hire or who are they going to promote from within to kind of take over that role and make sure that UNO stays in the conversation for, uh, you know, NCHC playoffs and an NCAA playoffs. And, you know, I think all of the fans have dreams of winning a national championship someday um, and having that in Omaha, like who can take us to that level? You know, who can, who can build the fan base and, the other thing, and I, I'd love to hear your kind of thoughts on this, John, as someone who's been around the guy for a long time, but I'm really curious what the university does to kind of see him, you know, see him off. And, and you know, we saw some of the stuff that they did around uh, Leahy's accomplishments and, and, and his um, track record this season and, and and getting to the number of games called and things like that. And, you know, the, I'm just, I'm curious what they'll do. I assume during the games, one of the games, at least at North Dakota about like, how do you send this guy off into the sunset and say, Hey, thanks for everything you do. You did for us because Omaha is not what it is today without Mike Kim. Yeah. I thought they might mention something uh, during this series against Colorado college. They didn't Uh, he's officially retiring in May of this year. So like you, I'm assuming that they might do something uh, during that North Dakota series Maybe not. Maybe they'll wait uh, till the uh, first series uh, this uh, coming fall uh, to uh, honor Kemp in some way. But I would think that you would want to do it now. So, uh, yeah, having known him since the early days of the program, like I mentioned, uh, I served on the I served and worked uh, on the Blue Line Club Board of Directors. So uh, every time we had a meeting, I saw Coach Kemp uh, who attended those meetings. Uh, Bridget and I got to know him very well. Uh, There were a couple of seasons in there in the uh, early 2000s uh, where Coach Kemp's secretary, Shirley Fye, uh, had me design Coach Kemp's uh, Christmas card that he sent out to his uh, professional colleagues and and, uh, fellow coaches. So that was always a fun process uh, going back uh, and forth with him on that each year. I remember one year his wife, uh, Julie, was uh, chairing uh, uh, a fundraising event at the Omaha Children's Museum, and uh, he called us personally and asked us to come uh, work uh, the uh, auction they were having that night. So Bridget and I uh, ran the uh, cash register that night uh, for the event. So uh, we've known him a long time. Obviously, when it comes to a coach of a hockey team, when you're the people who run a fan site, uh, it can be a very kind of uh, interesting relationship uh, that develops with a head coach. But uh, looking uh, at uh, the uh, UNO athletic department over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, there's been a lot of churn. There's been a lot of turnover. It was nice to have coach Kemp around knowing that you had somebody who understood college hockey, who'd lived his life working in college hockey. You know, one of the things that I wish he'd get involved with, certainly NIL has become a big topic. And I think he's one of those guys, he would make a great spokesperson for one of the NIL entities that's uh, trying to raise money for players here at UNO. And a big part of it is the fact that with somebody like Kemp, it's the no like, and trust factor to appeal to donors uh, to make uh, those kind of donations, Jason. You know, he mentioned, you know, wanting to 
be with the family and, and his grandkids and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would be shocked if we don't see him around pretty frequently. Uh, I just know hockey guys and it's a hard thing to kind of let go. So. We've got a road series coming up at Miami this coming weekend. Jason talked a little bit about it earlier, March 1st and 2nd in Oxford, Ohio at Steve Katie Arena, which is part of the Goggin Ice Center. Uh, Miami is 7-20 and 3 overall, struggling again this season uh, for the Red Hawks. Uh, they are 1-17 and 2 in NCHC play. Uh, Jason, we've got to talk a little bit here about the NCHC standings. Omaha is currently uh kind of, I would say solidly in sixth place with 28 points. Miami's last place in the conference with seven points. Minnesota Duluth is in seventh behind us with 21 points. Western Michigan right ahead of us with uh, 31 points. So we're nipping on their heels, uh, three points behind. Colorado College is in fourth with 34 points. Denver is right ahead of them, two points ahead of them with 36 points. And then St. Cloud State is in second with 40 points and North Dakota uh, is in first with 43 points. So it's quite a dogfight in the conference race, Jason. And like at 1115 last night, we were texting back and forth about scenarios that would get UNO home ice, UNO third place. I already had a headache after the games and like the headache like spread to like my left eye. Like we were going back and forth on this. UNO's got a chance after some really good performances here in the second half of the season to uh, to get one of those uh, one of those uh, home ice spots. Yeah, they're they're not out of it, which you know is a is a honestly kind of a surprising thing to say when you're sitting in like six to say like, hey, we still got a chance to be top four, and you know <laughs> when you're actually having to do the math to figure out if we can possibly get to second place it's it's kind of a you know it's a fun thing to do a lot of it comes down to who plays who like it's not just a, a math game and there's opportunities if we take care of business uh in our games to move up those standings and with a three points for a regulation win we can move up really quick um but the key is and we've talked about this you know ad nauseum at this point in time but we have to beat the teams that that we need to beat. Like we have to beat Miami. You can't go in there and say like, eh, it's Miami. They only have one conference win. You know, they've won seven games overall. You know, their goaltenders all pitch over three goals a game. We'll be we'll be fine. We're gonna have you know, like no. You start getting that attitude, and Miami's done it to us before. They will beat us. Uh, and that's gonna that's gonna be a problem for us if we really want to move up those standings. Like you said, I'm completely shocked that we're talking about home ice at this point. But man, it would be great to get home ice for the playoffs. So, uh, Mavs, you gotta you gotta do everything that you control to make that happen. Uh, Miami coach Chris Bergeron is in his fifth season with the Red Hawks. He's 35. 110 and 16 with Miami. Uh, he was a, a past assistant with Miami 
during those uh, during those years when Miami had a lot of success in the CCHA and made multiple uh, NCAA tournaments. He spent nine seasons as the head coach at Bowling Green. Uh, in his final five seasons with the Falcons, they won 20-plus games each season. I know things have not gone the way that uh, Chris Bergeron has wanted them to go yet, uh, but it's going to take some time to get some recruits, get some transfer portal players in. Uh, they only have one NHL draft pick uh, on that team. So uh, that makes it tough to compete uh, in the NCHC. Uh, one of the players, uh encourage you to watch because we encourage you to watch uh, certain players each week. Uh, senior forward Matthew Barbellini leads the team in points with 11 goals and 13 assists. Uh, he had two goals uh, in the uh, series at DU last weekend. And then uh, one of the players I'm encouraging you to watch because he has a name that's tough to pronounce. Junior forward Raymond Vitalan from Latvia, who is a transfer uh, from uh, Vermont. He has six goals and 10 assists for the Red Hawks. He had uh, two assists in the series um, at DU. Uh, the goalie situation uh, has been kind of rough for Miami this season. Uh, like I mentioned, the team only has one NHL draft pick, and that's uh, goaltender Logan Neaton. Uh, he has been out with an injury uh, after starting 18 uh, of 20 games for the Red Hawks this season. So uh, it's uh, primarily been freshman netminder. Bruno Bruveris, which I think I'm pronouncing that right. These teams need to have guys named Smith and Jones and other stuff. Uh, but Bruno Bruveris is freshman goaltender, as I mentioned. Uh, he is from Latvia. Uh, he has started uh, most of the games uh, since uh, Neaton went down. And then uh, senior Carter McPhail uh, has appeared in a couple of games. Statistically, uh, neither of those goaltenders uh, have been uh, particularly good. So UNO has an opportunity uh, if they can play with the same sort of intensity uh, that they played with uh, against Colorado College this weekend uh, to go out there and get uh, six big conference points and put them in a really good position going into the final weekend of the season. But Jason, What's your pick? This critical road series, second to last series of the regular season out at Miami. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think UNO is going to sweep? Are they going to get swept? Are they going to split? What do you think is going to happen against Miami this upcoming weekend? I, you know, I think that sweeps are rare usually in, especially in NCHC, the teams are just so evenly matched and there's so much talent that it's hard to pick one of these, but I think this is one of those times where I think, uh, it stacks up for Omaha to sweep Miami. Uh, I think one, it's a team that we know is down and, and our guys are motivated. They see where the standings are. So, you know, hopefully they're not looking past Miami to North Dakota. Um, but I also think the the factor of Mike Kemp retiring, you know, isn't something to look to, to diminish too much or, or discount too much. Uh, you know, I think the guys are motivated to say like, you know, he said that this is his last season. Let's make this a, a memorable one. Let's, you know, make the NC the NCHC playoffs. Let's get to Minnesota. You know, for the first time. Uh, you know, let's let's see if we can make a run and get in. But I think that the things to motivate them are there. I think you're right. So, Jason, you picking the sweep? Picking UNO to sweep. Look, lots of opportunities for UNO here. Not just in the conference race, but they're currently sitting 18th in the pairwise. They're just outside of where they need to be. They, you really need to be in that top 14 or so 
uh, in the uh, pairwise rankings uh, at the end of the season to have a shot in an at-large bid. So they've got some work to do, but they've got some opportunity here the uh, next uh, next three weekends uh, to get that done. Like you said, it's an exciting time, and uh, they can't overlook Miami. We can't emphasize that enough. Jason and I have watched far too many UNO teams lay an egg against the Miami Redhawks when we should have beat them. So we need to see the team get it done. It would also be great to see UNO get a strong finish, regardless of what the final outcome is, play their best hockey in March. You know, having run mavpuck.com for so many years, having run the mavpuck.com message board for so many years, I can't tell you the number of threads I've had to read talking about how the team has fallen apart in March, season after season after season. So these guys have the opportunity to do something really special for fans, for themselves, and that's to play their best hockey down to the bitter end, however the season ends. So uh, they've got an opportunity to do that. And with that, I'm picking a sweep. I think Jason thinks I always pick sweeps uh, during the season. It'd be great to go undefeated sometime, Jason. That would make uh, you and I doing this podcast a whole lot of fun. Uh, the games will be at 6.05 p.m. Central Time, uh, both nights uh, this upcoming weekend. Uh, the games will be broadcast uh, locally on the radio on 1290 Coil. Uh, Mike Valancourt and Terry Leahy have the call. I got to tell you. Fans, uh, including myself, and I know including you, Jason, have really enjoyed uh, Valancourt this season. Uh, he has been a great addition. We've gotten to chat with him a little bit, get to know him a little bit this season. Uh, he is fantastic. We'll have to see if we can uh, get him on the podcast during the offseason, uh, maybe to talk about uh, his experiences during this uh, first season. If you uh, are not here in Omaha and you can't tune in 1290 Coil, uh, you can listen uh, to the radio broadcast online on the Varsity Network app. And uh, of course, as always, you can uh, watch both games on nchc.tv. As always, be sure to follow Mavpuck on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can find uh, links to all of our social channels as well as back episodes of the Mavpuckcast at mavpuck.com but until next time jason go mavs go mavs